Z1077 welcomes you to Up Close, a weekly public affairs program presented by Z1077 News. You're invited to call in with your questions and comments. Our call-in number is 366-8471. Now, your host for Up Close, Gary Danielle. Well, thank you, mystery announcer, wherever you are. And welcome to the Z1077 Up Close show on this drop-dead gorgeous January 27th, 2023. That's right, 23. I'm still getting used to saying that. Our guest in studio today is artist and innovator Bobby First of Jaws Tree. Bobby, welcome to the Z1077 Up Close Show. Delighted to, uh, delighted to have you with us this morning. Well, thank you, Gary, for inviting me. I'm honored. Well, thank you. You know, we, we had you as part of kind of a, a quartet of Joshua Tree artists and, and movers a few months ago, and I want to get a chance to, to talk to you individually, and I, re- I really appreciate you coming in, Bobby. Uh, I ran into Bobby at Kevin Bone's one-man show at Theater 29. I said, you know, I've got to have you on the show. Date opened up. He came in, and I, I really appreciate it. Now, I, I, uh, I kind of made up uh, the artist and innovator, but I think it best describes you. We're gonna we're gonna meet you a little bit better today, Bobby. First, and, and find out more about what you're all about and what you're doing in Joshua Tree, and you've done some pretty remarkable things. So that's why I think you're an innovator. You, well, you've, you've innovated things. So thank you for the amazing title. <laughs> <laughs> You'll take it, uh, Bobby. Let's uh, let's meet you first. Uh, where are you from? What part of the country did you grow up in? Well, I. Was born in Long Island, New York, but I only lived there the first 18 months of my life. Oh, okay. And then I came to <laughs> first Hollywood, uh, and I've been in California ever since, so it's hard to consider myself a New Yorker. But I lived from basically 1959 to the mid-70s in Laurel Canyon, which was a great place to grow up. I went to Wonderland Avenue Elementary School, and... Uh, it was an amazing time back then when you had neighbors, you know, fairly close, but not next door, but neighbors like Joni Mitchell and Frank Zappa and Hedge and Donna and guys from the Turtles and my next door neighbor played congas, first with Delaney and Bonnie and friends and then Little Feet. So it was it was quite the so experience. You, you, you grew up surrounded by all these uh, remarkable uh, people, all these very unique people. The Laurel Canyon area has kind of a legend about that whole scene. Back in the days you were living there, uh, was it just uh, a chance that your family chose to locate there, or was it on purpose? Well, it was my mother worked as a secretary at a TV station, Channel 13 KCOP. Uh-huh. She met my stepfather, who was a documentary uh, film er- editor, narrator, filmmaker for a show called Expedition, produced by this guy, Bill Burrid. And in... Uh, so Laurel Cannon was fairly close. It wasn't in the heart of Hollywood and... They decided to buy a house there, Uh, and my dad was, as I said, working as a filmmaker, and he got sent down to Mexico in 1963. I was 10 years old, and I got to get out of elementary school, and we spent four months in Mexico, one uh, town called Playa Sul, which was literally a town about 100 miles north of Acapulco and the site of some uh, Mayan ruins at the time, or actually Aztec, I would assume. Um, And we spent two months in Playa Sul, and then we went inland to the state of Nayarit and spent a couple of months there. And when we came back, my father said, oh, this archaeology stuff is kind of interesting. I think I'll take a class at UCLA. So he's looking through, and, you know, Peter is 40 years old, and most students are in their 20s, and he's looking through who teaches Archaeology 101 and sees this German name, uh, Johannes Wilbert, and says, okay, I think I'll take his class, because my dad was born in Cologne, Germany, fled before the war. His parents sent him and his younger brother out of the country to England, and then the mother and father and uh, younger sister got out a year later. So we're, he took the first class, 
and got so into it that in four and a half years later, he ended up getting a PhD in cultural anthropology and wow. totally changed his career. Yeah. So in well, the good for him. In the yeah. 60s, kind of 66 and 67, uh, as part of his research for his dissertation and stuff, uh, we moved to Guadalajara in the state of Jalisco. And at that point, through a, a priest in a, a town called Zapopan, right outside of Guadalajara, my father came in contact with a Huichol, uh Indian named Ramon Medina Silva, who made amazing yarn paintings, was super talented at that. My father got interested first in his art, and then uh, through time realized that Ramon was in the process of becoming a Weechel shaman. So my father, after a year or so, got permission uh, to make a film on the Weechel Indian peyote ritual. So for the last six months, we were still living in Guadalajara. Ramon and his wife, Lupe, lived in our house, and I would come home from school every day, and he'd take me, teach me how to make yarn paintings and uh, And you're going, eyes you of were God. going to elementary school in Mexico. Yes. Yeah. Well, first the American school, but that was a little bit too sterile for me. So I told my parents, I don't care if you send me to a Mexican school, just get me out of this place. I ended up in a... A school that was really interesting. It had like, you know, six teachers and, you know, maybe 60 kids ranging in age. And, you know, in one class, there might be eight students. But one of the, you know, like one of the teachers was a, a medical doctor and a surgeon. And he took us to the local hospital and we dissected, you know, Wow. Rats and things. And, you know, it was really an eclectic school. I don't recall the name of it, but I know it was run by a, an English woman and her husband, and it was just in an old Mexican house. So that was a really great learning experience. Well, uh, sounds like all the way most around. Of your young life was a learning experience. Yeah, it started out was. In, in a traditional <laughs> neighborhood. Although I don't think the Laurel Canyon in the '60s was a traditional neighborhood, but uh, in an interesting American neighborhood. At ten years old, uh, go to Mexico. Yeah. Uh, your your dad, who sounds like a remarkable guy, actually, yeah. kind of reinvents himself based on a passion. I got You have to respect that. Uh, you know, a lot of people get a burst of passion and are not quite sure they want to break away from the security of where they are to follow that exactly. passion. Exactly, yeah. And so that uh, I was fortunate that that whole process yeah. developed for my dad. We, you know, didn't get to spend a lot of time together because he was working, going to school, and... Uh, so, you know, my best friend's father was like the, you know, football coach and stuff. And, you know, so I, I spent a lot of my youth uh, at that time, high school or elementary school and junior high school, kind of hanging out at friends' houses a lot. But I'm still friends with people I grew up with in elementary school in Laurel Canyon because it was a tight-knit community and we were isolated because there was no public transportation. So... You know, back in the 60s, your thumb is how you got around or your legs. You couldn't have bicycles because it was too hard to push it uphill a mile. <laughs> so, uh, so so, you said your, your, your father connected with the Weechel artist who was doing the, the, the wax paintings? Yes. Yeah. And Ramon and I got really close. So Ramon used me to convince the other Weechels that it was okay for my father to make the film because he wanted his son to participate. Well, that's remarkable, A, to allow it to be filmed. I know they're very, very private about those reasons. Yeah. Well, yeah. when it came down, we moved back to Los Angeles. It was, I don't know, four or five months later. It was the season of peyote gathering because the Weechels live in the mountains of the uh, Sierra Nevada, but the peyote is down kind of just below the border in Texas, right at the uh, kind of where the railroad uh, tracks uh, run north, you know, just south of Texas. Uh, I think, what was the closest town? Uh, oh, senior moment here. Anyway, when it came time to do the film, we came back to Mexico, met up with Ramon and Lupe, and 
Lupe and the other women had made me a whole Weechol Indian outfit. Wow. And so it was my mother, who wasn't really a sound person, operating a reel-to-reel Nagra tape recorder. My dad was shooting a Bolex 16-millimeter uh, camera, and there were two uh, guys from the Mexican Indian Institute in Mexico City who had to supervise that, you know, all of this was <laughs> okay with, with the government. But... Um, so it was quite the experience, you know, we fasted basically for like 10 days, and they normally walk. Now, how old were you at this point? I was 15. 15, okay. 15 and a half-ish, right? Uh, and uh, normally they walk from the mountains down to the desert, collect the peyote, and come back, and it's a 40-day round trip. Wow. So we, but there's certain spots along the way that are sacred spots that they have to stop at and do ceremonies. So we drove in two cars stuffed with 16 weechols, uh, my mother, my father, and myself, <laughs> and uh, went through the whole trek. But, you know, sometimes it was like 20 miles. But there was no road, and you'd have to drive 100 miles to get to, get the, uh, get to the other side. Yeah. So, um, But it was obviously an amazing experience, and it kind of gave me a whole different perspective. Uh, you can know, I can had, you describe the, the, the person? Well, it's like, you know, for the weechols, and, you know, on this trip, there were 16 weechols, ranging in age from a 10-day-old baby to an 88-year-old man. Wow. And with a 15 year old American kid in there. Yeah, with a 15 year old <laughs> American kid. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, you never see my face in the documentary, but in a line of Weechels, I'm the one with the pale ankles. <laughs> 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 because the, the pants they wear are above, and they wear these really amazing uh, kind of shoes made out of tire treads and leather that strap up around your, up, up your ankles. But uh, it was a, you know, I still don't know to this day, you know, was I dreaming? Did I fall asleep after I ate the peyote? Was I dreaming? Was I hallucinating? Was, you know, kind of, because other people would kind of go into a trance. The Weechols are, throughout their youth, are kind of taught about what this experience means in their life, because the Weechols have no written language. It's all a spoken language. So... It's all through, you know, community and dialogue that their spiritual selves and community come forth. But it gave you a different outlook on life. Oh, it did. Yeah. It did. <laughs> Interesting, I was talking to, uh, uh, last week we had Abe Daniels, who's of Native American descent, grew up in Arizona, and he was talking about how the, the Native Americans here, the, the Indian tribes here, basically the religion is based on on Mother Earth is is the the supreme being, uh, and and so everything that they do is based on that. Uh, the Weechel, similar type of belief. Well, uh, similar. It, what's uh, an interesting little part of it is that the deer is kind of synonymous with peyote, and it uh, it it is. Uh, uh, what's the word? Kind of a connector of the earth to okay, yeah, the spirit world. So you know, the, they're into the sun, sort of similar to American Indians: the sun, the four directions. So and so, above. So, fifteen-year-old Bobby first is taken by his family to Mexico, where he goes to Mexican schools yeah. and uh, goes through the Weechol, uh ceremony. Uh, and when did you discover that? The, when did you start looking at things like an artist, like a creator? Like well, I can redo that, I can change that. I, when, when did that I? Come well, in Bobby? after you know, I went to Mexico f- for my father to film the archaeological digs for four months. I was like ten, and from like you know ten to fourteen, we'd go down to Baja California. 
you know, sometimes a couple of times a month and just camp out on the beach. And I would collect rocks and shells and bones and stones. And then I'd, we'd come back to Laurel Canyon and I'd walk to school on Thursdays and raid people's trash cans to find interesting containers for my collection. So at a young age, I started collecting things, you know, and uh, that later on just kind of developed into kind of uh i've never been a painter i don't draw i was into documentary photography i got my first nikromat camera when i was 15 for my birthday my father there was always a dark room in our house so he taught me how to print stuff i work mainly in black and white but I was very shy and subdued, you know, and basically until I got out to Joshua Tree, pretty much. So I was always kind of behind the camera, and I got really, I was interested in people because I was around so many different types of people in Laurel Canyon, you know, in the 60s. There were interracial couples, there were gay people, my parents were into the arts and collecting, and, you know, so I was around all kinds of different people. And so I was always interested, so I kind of, I would walk the streets of Hollywood and photograph, you know, street people and homeless people. I'd go down to Mexico. I did studies on shoeshine kids and food vendors. And, you know, I went to Lovins in Griffith Park. I went to free concerts on the beach in Venice. Do you still have those photographs, Bob? I don't have the prints anymore because I've given them all away going, oh, it's okay. I have all the negatives. So I have like two trunks of negatives. And I'll probably, I have a close friend, a musician, Paul Chesney. His day job is he works at the Getty uh, uh, Museum and deals with photographic images. So I'll probably just give the trunks because I'm so busy with First World that I don't have time. I still have darkroom equipment. Eventually, I'd love to have a darkroom at First World which will, you know, uh, I don't have kids, so we're leaving First World to the community. So there'll be a theater performing arts space. There's a wood and metal shop. I'm putting together a kind of resource library. Uh, And then I got my good friend and ex-wife Shirley to buy the property next door. So eventually those will get tied together. There'll be a three-bedroom artisan residence spot. She never remarried, doesn't have kids. I don't have kids to leave it to, so we're leaving the whole compound to the community. Wow. Okay. We're going to take a quick little break. We're going to be back with Bobby First of Joshua Tree. Our phone number is 760-366-8471. If you'd like to talk with Bobby First, I'm Gary Daniel. Our producer is Michelle Alley, and you are listening to the Z1077 Up Close Show. Hi, this is Sue from Sue's Health Foods. How's your new year going so far? Will 2023 be the year you reach your goals? Creating a new version of yourself or even upgrading your health begins with a thought. When that thought becomes action, change starts to happen. Consistent actions form habits. Without positive habits, positive change is, well, just a thought. Make Sue's Health Foods your new habit in 2023 and let us help you take action to move you closer to your health goals. There is no better time than right now. Sue's Health Foods, committed to your good health since 1983. Sue's Health Foods, committed to your good health. Hello? Man, where are you? I thought you were coming. I can't. I'm in bed with the flu. <laughs> the flu? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grandma's about to crowd, sir. Man, I'll call you back. Don't get stuck at home with the flu. A flu shot is safe, effective, and you can get it at the same time as your COVID-19 vaccine. A flu shot is the best way to prevent the flu and its potentially serious complications. Don't get flu FOMO. Learn more at GetMyFluShot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. 
Interest rates on hard money loans don't fluctuate with the Federal Reserve. This is Patty Brown, a.k.a. the Loan Lady or the Queen of Green. Do you need cash for home improvements? Trying to fix up your home to put on the market? We offer great alternatives and flexible lending for home improvement loans and mortgages. Our money to loan comes from local investors looking to invest in people, not credit scores. We've got money for your next project available and fast closing too. Call me today at 365-7003. The Loan Lady, we want to be your real estate lender. And we are back with the Z1077 Up Close, your guest in studio today, Joshua Tree artist and innovator, Bobby First. Our number is 760-366-8471 for the Z1077 Up Close show. Uh, I'm going to loop back a little bit uh, on First World. Uh, it's remarkable plans that you have, and I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of going, what a wonderful legacy you're building there. But I want to come back a little bit about that. That point in time, be, uh, be t- when you were a teenager, sometime in there you started getting some formal training. Uh, well, I, I, I some schooling was involved, I believe. Well, I, I, my mother passed away in a car accident when I was 21 in 1974. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And through Social Security, they gave me money to you know go to. I decided to go to Valley College because it was close this thing uh, to where I lived and I was back in Laurel Canyon I left uh, my dad changed his career in 71 we all moved across the country to upstate New York because he got a job being the head of the anthropology department at New York State University at Albany Wow! so I turned 18 when I was there registered for the draft north of where we lived in a town called Ballston Lake I registered in Saratoga Springs I lasted about five months, snow, sleet, slush, and cold. I said, the heck with this. I'm going back to California. My parents going, oh, what are you going to do? you got to get an education. you got to do this. I said, whatever I'm doing, it's not here. So I made enough uh, money photographing athletic events because one of our neighbors was the football coach, and I bought an airplane ticket, grabbed my cameras, a couple of changes of clothes, a sleeping bag, Flew back to Los Angeles, got from the airport to the Roosevelt Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard. I had $4.89, but I was home. And I had friends that were renting a house in Laurel Canyon, so I moved right back to Laurel Canyon. All right, we're going to take a, a call here, Bobby. We're going to come back to that transition for you. Uh, Brad, you're on the radio. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning. You're on the radio. Bobby is Brad. Hey, I used to, I used to help out uh, that beautiful lady up there, Elta, but... I just want to say what a great, great humanitarian you really are, man. You're a uh, wonderful guy, and uh, it's just, just uh, amazing, amazing, non, non-assuming guy. It's just, just, I don't know. But pleasure meeting you, and, and uh, that's all I wanted to say. All well, right. thank you, Brad. All right, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. It was great to meet you as well. All right, thanks, Brad. Letter number 760-366-8471 uh, if you'd like to talk to Bobby first. So you get you get back to California. You're 18 years old. Uh, your only way of making a living right now is on a camera. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, but back that, then in 71, the end of 71, it was, you know, I, I didn't know how to, you know, I ended up, uh, a friend of mine in high school's dad ran a, ran a photo reproduction lab, so I ended up working in the photography lab, but okay. I was up to my elbows all day long printing up giant uh, posters and things for people. I trained for a month, I took it over for two months, and I was getting paid minimum wage, $1.65 an hour, and I said, hey, you know, I'm making $56 a week. I'm fasting two days a week, just drinking coffee to get through. I have no transportation. I'm walking up and down. Can you give me a raise? You know, and the guy I replaced was making like $4 an hour because he had been there for a dozen years. And he said, no, President Nixon, wage price freeze. I can't give you, I won't give you a raise. And it was like, finally, I was going, hey, you know, this is not comfortable here. So I walked in one day and I said, hey, come on, I really need a a raise. And he says, well, can't do it. And I said, okay, here's today's work. Goodbye. I quit. And he says, you can't quit. And I said, I just did. And I walked out the door. (laughs) And then I had a neighbor in Laurel Canyon on the street I grew up in who was a, a contractor. 
And my first, you know, started off as a laborer, but I worked changing Trini Lopez's nightclub PJs into <laughs> Starwood, <laughs> which was kind of the first kind of punk rock club at Santa Monica and Crescent Heights-ish area. And I learned basic kind of carpentry, but they hired me to take care of all the destruction from in, of the dressing rooms after shows and stuff. So I'd come in at 1 o'clock in the morning. Club would close at 2. I'd go to work right after that and, you know, work to whatever it was to put stuff back together. Were you making more than $1.65 an hour? I was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So then I worked there for a couple of years, and then my mother had a second cousin who was a Catholic priest at St. Victor's in West Hollywood. You have had some fascinating <coughs> influences in your life, Bobby. I, I, I understand why you're so multifaceted. All these, well, all these, these, you're bouncing all these people, all these different influences. Now you're learning carpentry skills. You have the photography skills, but you started collecting stuff at 15. And I see all that all that coming up into a nexus well it it basically yeah i through my mother's second cousin who was the priest he called me up and he had this you know he had family money so he had this amazing 36 foot all teak wood uh choi lee catch and i went on a couple of day sales with him you know to catalina or up the coast every time i got on the boat i got sicker than a dog but I was getting tired of Starwood because it was getting crazy. And he said, I'm going to sail to Hawaii. I said, and he said, do you want to come? So I said, yes. So got on the boat. He brought along uh, three children from his parish. We sailed to Hawaii on the way over. I, you know, my mother was Catholic, went all the way up to Catholic college. My dad was Jewish. Neither of them followed and, you know, were religious. Um, and so we're sailing across, we're a couple of days out, we get in this huge storm, shreds the mainsail, fortunately he had another one, there are 40-foot swells, and I'm sitting around with, you know, four other people going, Hill Mary, Mother God, we're all going to die, <laughs> and I'm going, how did I get here, <laughs> right? We get to Hilo, uh, Hawaii, spend the time, yeah, it was amazing, so the first day you got to clean the boat, the next day I said, okay, I'm going into town, I'm going to check out the volcano, right, so I go to this camera store, meet this couple from San Francisco, we talk, oh, we're going to the volcano, we have a rented car, come with us. That's for a shy guy, Halfway. you're making a lot of friends along the way, Bobby. <laughs> well, <laughs> so we're driving up, it's like a 45-minute drive. Halfway there, newsflash, the volcano's erupting, right? <laughs> so I've got, you know, my camera. I'm in shorts and a T-shirt, you know. We get there at, like, noon. We end up staying for, like, 12 hours. I tried to bar bribe one of the park guys to take me along the walk, and I had a, you know, a new 300-millimeter lens. So I did get some cool shots of the volcano erupting, but I couldn't get as close as I wanted to. And I ended up spending four months in Hilo, and I kind of went door to door, uh, you know, trying to get a job. And I'm sure they filled out an application. And as soon as I walked away, they went in the trash can because I was a haole. And that, you know, it was the first time I understood what kind of, in a sense, racism was about, just because of the color of the skin or where you came from you were like mm, a potential no thank you we don't want to be around you so i had a finally after you know three and a half weeks i applied for general assistance i ended up getting a job uh working for the owner of a hotel doing uh, being a carpentry assistant for a japanese amazing woodworker but Hilo has 453 inches of rain every year. So the rain shut us down. The guy who owned the hotel said, well, I don't want to fire you. I'll give you a job in the hotel, but the only thing I've got is cleaning air conditioner. So I started air conditioner number one, <laughs> went to 400. Then all of a sudden my general assistant check showed up and I went back to California. Two friends of mine, well, one friend and his partner started Starving Students. I started working, which is a moving company, started working for them. A week and a half later, the 
counties shut them down because they didn't have permits and licenses right, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And we're going, oh, this is too good. And the phone's ringing off the hook. I still have the same phone number 30-something, <laughs> 40 years later. <laughs> but did that for a year and a half. And then my friend's partner, uh, dad was a lawyer, and they went through and unbeknownst to us, got all the permits and then said, okay, you know, you can't... Uh, do this anymore it's ours and I was like I didn't have money to take them on in court this that and the other thing so you know I ended up becoming a, a carpenter again so what brought you f to Joshua Tree for the first time well, well I spent about that first I, I spent uh, well the first experience was you know kind of wacky but uh, in 1970 so. <laughs> 1972 <laughs> we were had taken mescaline we had heard about George Van Tassel. So at 11 o'clock in the night, we just go, road trip, let's go find George Van Tassel and this <laughs> Integratron thing. So we drive out. The only paved road was Old Woman Springs Road. We're driving around. And finally, we see this kind of green glow, and we kind of head toward that because it was kind of, you know, there were few houses out there, you know, but not many. And sure enough, there's the Integratron. There's a chain link fence around it. It's got these kind of greenish lights. And we get out of the a 1950 Ford panel truck painted <laughs> purple with a big turtle known as the Purple Turtle. So we get out, and we're like the apes when they see the the thing in 2001. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're jumping on the fence, and we go, we can't believe we found the place. Out of the darkness, we hear the sound of a cocking shotgun and yeah. a voice going, who are you and what do you want? And we go, are you Van Tassel? And he goes, no, I'm Swede, his son-in-law to be. What do you want with Van Tassel? Well, we thought it was interesting. We want to talk to him. And uh, he says, well, he's going to be at the Giant Rock Airport Cafe in the 10 o'clock in the morning having breakfast. His daughter's the waitress, and she's going to be my wife. Where are you going to stay? And, you know, this is still us standing in the darkness. And he goes, well, you can stay here. So, you know, five minutes later, six minutes later, this 60-year-old guy or late 50s comes back with a bottle of whiskey, and we sit around, we smoke pot and drink whiskey with him, <laughs> sleep for four hours, and he tells us how to get to the Giant Rock Airport Cafe, and we go and have breakfast with George Van Tassel. Uh, how was breakfast with George Van Tassel? It was you know, kind of wacky. <laughs> you know, the guy's a physicist, scientist. He's been abducted by aliens, but he's also a Jesus freak. And the Integratron, it was supposed to be kind of a rejuvenation right. thing. But at the same time, he says, I'm working on Einstein's theory of relativity to kind of create or destroy energy. It's always present. So this copper coil set up on the inside, he was thinking, is an antenna. So instead of getting in, a like the old movie, The Time Machine, and going back in time, he could tune into time in the past and put it on like a TV screen so he could turn the world on to Jesus. And was like, this <laughs> does not make sense, you know. But it was interesting. And then, uh, you know, I never came back to Joshua Tree until my good friend and neighbor across the street when I bought a house in Laurel Canyon in the late 80s, um, Victoria Williams started playing music and my prison girlfriend Jane and her music partner Bill Marish I uh, had a band out here called Honky Tonk Train, and they met Ted Quinn and got a, you know got to play in a Bob Dylan birthday things uh, at the Beatnik. Ted was also from the Laurel Canyon. Yeah, well, it turns out was what's crazy. Oh, you're going to yeah. meet this guy, Ted Quinn. So I finally come out to one of their shows. They go, oh, this is Ted Quinn. This is how we got here, right? And I go, first word out of my mouth is, do you have a sister, Diane? And he goes, how do you know? And I said, well... I photographed your sister's wedding to my carpenter friend, oh. <laughs> Jim, and you, at 17, your band played in the music. And I hadn't seen him in 25 years yeah. or more, right? I know he was a Laurel Canyon kid, yeah. um, but, you know, back then, four or five years is a big difference yeah. in age, right? So then I'm coming to uh, Graham Parsons' music thing at the what used to be the Joshua Tree Theater, and I run into Sherry Elf, and I go, what are you doing here? I live here. And it's like, I knew Sherry because we're in a book together called uh, Big City Junk, 
right? And I had last time she had, I knew she was moving to te- married and moved to you know, Tennessee or Kansas or somewhere. I also at another event ran into Deborah Ayala, who was a musician and in a band called uh, Romeo Void that we met when she married her first husband on an island in Mexico, Isla Mujeres, spent a week together, and they lived in Frisco, and every time they played in Southern California, they'd stay at our house. And I go, Deborah, what are you doing here? And she goes, I live here. And it was like, what? You know, people I hadn't run into in 25, 15, and 10 years were all living in Joshua Tree. So and I was the, looking around for a place myself. All the Laurel Canyon expats had, had moved, to, <laughs> moved to Joshua Tree. It was like, this is yeah. crazy. So when did you decide you are going to set your roots down here? Well, I bought a house in Laurel, my own house in Laurel Canyon in the late 80s. I think it was 88. Um, I was married at the time. We were li- I was living with my wife in a you know a house that was twice the size and a really wonderful kind of Spanish night built in 1932 Spanish Art Deco building. And we separated, and I ended up moving into my house in Laurel Canyon. Spent three and a half years totally redoing it. But basically, for three decades in Los Angeles, I worked as a hands-on carpenter mainly for film and music industry people that had lots of money and good taste. So I got to work with amazing architects, designers, engineers, and materials, which gave me a sense of form, function, structure. And when I was going out to, as I was looking for a house, I you know, kept going out to Noah Purifoy's. I finally spent a whole afternoon with him one time, and I kind of mix old and new. Uh, so... Bobby First, who started collecting things out of people's trash cans when he was 15 years old. Uh, <laughs> 10 or 12. <laughs> <laughs> 10 or 12. W- when did you start reassembling those things? And it's interesting that you got a, a chance to, to speak with Noah Porifoy, who's probably the master of uh, oh, yeah, as- no, assemblage. Yeah. So, well, him and uh, Ed Keenholz was kind of a, you know, sort of a mentor. I never met Ed. Uh, he lived in Laurel Canyon, two doors away from where I bought my house. He built the 38 Dodge, which is at the Museum of Modern Art in Los Angeles, and my next-door neighbor's garage. I actually am still trying to get it verified, have a probably the earliest known Ed Keenholz painting in existence. But he was, you know, it was kind of assemblage, but also political, social commentary oriented. And when I was Living in, working in L.A., being a carpenter, um, I would go to thrift stores, and I went to a thrift store, and there were five or six huge boxes of old antique wooden printing font letters just all dumped in. And I asked the lady, how much are these? And she goes, oh, well, it's 10 cents for the ones up to, you know, a couple inches, and then, you know, 25 cents for the big ones. And there were like three or four people in the store, and they left. And I said, and she, and she goes, well, did you count them? And I go, come over here. And we spent like five minutes, and she got to like 50, and we hadn't even gone through one row of one box. She said, okay, how about $125 for all of it? I said, sold. Sold. Here's $20. I got to go to the bag and get the other 100 So I got those, and they were stored in my neighbor's garage in Laurel Canyon because he had just rebuilt a two-car garage with a room above it, and he drove a Harley, so he had room. I didn't. I had an 800-square-foot, 830-square-foot house and no garage. So one day, I wasn't working. Uh, I went down, and he goes, what are you going to do with all these things? And I said, well, I'm probably just going to put them together because they're all kind of squares and rectangles and do like tabletops or something. So I grabbed a handful, and out of five letters, three of the letters were S-E-X. And he's going, how about sex words? And I go, words, there's a concept. So that <laughs> I started me going into kind of doing kind of political, social commentary-oriented s- stuff. Uh, my last name being First, F-U-R-S-T, I did a series with these letters uh, for Lord, uh, uh hold on, uh, I did a, a, a series where it was Forbidden Utterances, Repulsive Sexual Talk, in parentheses, sexy or sexist, it's all in how you look at it. Uh-huh. I did another one, Forbidden Utterances, Racially Sorted Terminology, it was all racial slurs, but in parentheses, parts of a whole. 
I did another one, uh, Forbidden Utterances, Risky Street Thrills. It was all drugs to enlighten or escape. So that kind of got me going. I moved out here. I've kind of, you know, as I said, I registered for the draft. I moved back to California. Um, my yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop you for a second. I want to I want to talk about when you finally settled here and, and what happened and how First World came to be. But first, I got to pay a little rent, so we'll be right back <laughs> with more of the Z1077 Up Close Show. Our guest in studio today, Bobby First, artist and innovator of Joshua Tree. Loaded with all the hits. Saturday, March 4th, 8 p.m., Fantasy Springs Resort Casino. Cheryl Crow. Saturday, March 4th, 8 p.m., Fantasy Springs Resort Casino. A Night with Cheryl Crow and all the songs you love. Tickets on sale now at FantasySpringsResort.com. 1-800-827-2946. For more info, check out CherylCrow.com. And we're back uh, with the Z1077 Up Close. Our guest in studio today, Bobby First. And uh, Bobby, I, I always call this show the, the fastest hour in radio. So uh, yeah. I, I want to I get to Bobby uh, arriving in Joshua Tree, the, the, the triumphant return of Bobby First to Joshua Tree when you finally decided this is where you wanted to, to live and, uh, and the beginning of First World. So take us to that part. Okay, well, that part is I, I did uh, one of these block letter things for a Now, a I think super I've seen some end. of the block letters at First World. Yeah, they're still there. I, well, yeah, yeah, they're there. Yeah. Um, but I had done a, a, a large piece uh, basically for a bar, lounge, restaurant on the Sunset Strip. So because of the location, the theme was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Rock and roll was a little bit too confining, so it was everybody from Billie Holiday to, you know, rappers. And they paid me a great amount of money. I decided because I didn't have a studio space, and uh, my next-door neighbor got a girlfriend. She had a car, so I was running out of room, so I rented a studio space in Hollywood because downtown was too far to go to get a couple extra square feet for the buck. Filled it up, filled up a single-car garage, a second one, a third one, and then realized I'm paying a second mortgage in rent on a space that I'm lucky because I'm working so much to spend a weekend a month. My next-door neighbor, Victoria Williams, had bought her property, you know, back in the 90s and got a five acres with a house and a garage for $10,000. So I figured, well, you know, I, I think I can spend 100 maybe, but at least it's, I'll own something. So I dragged a poor local realtor o- over a year and a half to like 70 properties from eight miles up Burns Canyon to the far end of Wonder Valley and then stumbled on the location. My girlfriend and I walked through the house, didn't remember the house. We just remembered the location, these rock mountains. Well, you got the, it's, and, a, it's the Monument Manor area, yeah. which is a very and, unique area. And for, you know, and because I was, you know, making multiple trips trying to, you know, be able to talk to Noah Purifoy, on the way there I saw this Quonset Hut steel building and it kept kind of catching my eye and then Noah had one on his property, a smaller version, and I figured that's what I want for my studio. So I ordered one and started building. And when I got to Joshua Tree, what's now the theater was my studio, my storage, my workshop, but also my gallery. And I decided I was spending too many unproductive hours cleaning up sawdust because I was mainly a woodworker that it would be easier to build a second building for the dust zone. I got two thirds of the shell done. It was somebody's birthday uh, and what was kind of the beginning of, I don't know the beginning, but Graham Rabbit played in this and everybody's like going, oh, the sound in these things are so wonderful. You got to have more music. So I called the company back and I figured, okay, I'll put a dozen theater seats outside and kind of make an awning to semi-protect them from the weather. 
And then one thing led to another, and because I moved all the tools and a lot of stuff out of the center of the big space, like people wanted to play in the big space, and all of a sudden, you know, two or three years later, it went from all about me to all about community. So the first world uh, uh, grew. It did. Uh, it, it started. Wasn't, it wasn't built. It was grown. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was <laughs> all community inspired. You know, when I f first kind of people that were playing were basically local people. And then because a lot of people come through Joshua Tree or have come from somewhere else, it went from local to national. And then somehow it went from national to international. And now we have performers for all, all over the world. Uh, uh, just to give you a little idea yeah. of what's coming up at First World, I did, I did a little <laughs> internet search. We got the Ben Vaughn Ensemble. By the way, I love Ben Vaughn. He's been on this show. He's a, just a great guy. Uh, coming out on February 11th, you got the Hawk Messengers. Yes. DJ Alchemy coming up uh, uh, beginning of February. Megan, Diana, and Earl Valley coming up uh, beginning of February. So First World has, has gone from Bobby First Studio to a, a world-class entertainment <laughs> spot. Yeah, I mean, you're bringing in artists that... Uh, well, they're finding yeah. me. I've never booked one performer, whether it's a musician, a filmmaker, uh, poetry, comedy. We've done fashion shows. I do, you know, fundraisers for Miltree, the Mojave Desert Land Trust, yeah, Joshua Tree National Park. I'm going to talk about that, uh, about the fundraisers and and what you're doing with that. But got to got got to pay one more. Got to pay a little bit more rent. And we'll be back with the final portion of our show, which is the fastest hour in radio. We'll be right back with more with Bobby First on the Z1077 Up Close Show. Community pharmacies do still exist. The biggest advantage they have is the ability to give you more personal attention. The staff at Star Pharmacy get to know their customers. It's easier to ask questions when you know your pharmacist. Star Pharmacy also carries durable medical equipment, wheelchairs, walkers, and other health aids. A full range of supplements to boost your immune system, even meds for your pet. Visit your local Star Pharmacy across from the post office in Joshua Tree. Still don't have health insurance? Did you know that you may qualify for significantly reduced or even no-cost health insurance through Covered California? Hi, this is Sherry Fansler, Certified Enrollment Counselor at Morongo Basin Healthcare District. Open enrollment is now through January 31st. 90% of Covered California enrollees get financial help, so don't wait. Call me today to schedule a free appointment and let me help you get brand name health insurance through Covered California. That's 760-366-1546. At Firehouse Subs, they make their subs differently because their subs can make a difference. Start with their Italian sub, piled high with Genoan salami, pepperoni, and Virginia honey ham. Or try their Firehouse Meatball with zesty marinara, melted provolone, and Italian seasoning. It's your choice. Order on FirehouseSubs.com or on the app to have your subs boxed, bagged, and ready for pickup. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. And we are back with our Up Close show. I'm Gary Dineau with Bobby First. Uh, so now First World has become not only a venue, but a, a, a community resource. Uh, I see here that recently you gave over $10,000 to the Liaison for Homeless Youth with Morongo Unified School District. So now First World has gone from being uh, uh, the studio where Bobby didn't want uh, sawdust to uh, a, a world-class venue, and now that venue is generating resources for the community. Um, was that a conscious thing or just st st still part of this growth, this, this constant? Well, yeah, it was actually we came, uh, you know, decided to do that particular fundraiser because we had uh, the Morongo Basin Conservation Association, Joshua Tree, has been affected by a lot by short-term rentals. Yes, and the effect it's having. So we interviewed business people, uh, pe uh, Wayne from the school district, uh, uh, also people that were losing their houses because they were getting sold out from under them. So we did an eight-minute uh, interview with you know, probably close to a dozen people to send this eight-minute video to the county to go, hey, you got to get on top of this. Well, during that process, through Wayne, we figured out, he let 
I heard that there are 700 homeless kids in the Morongo Valley, which stretches from Morongo to Wonder right. Valley. Yeah. And we're going, that is, what? So we had done like five, six months ago, we did a fundraiser for Ukrainian kids in connection with another nonprofit. We raised like 3,000 bucks. And, you know, at that time, it's just when we, just after that is, or just a day before it is when we heard about the homeless kids in our neighborhood. So we decided, okay, let's do a, you know, a fundraiser to raise money to specifically go to the school district and their person that deals with homeless kids. Now, if you're interested in going to see the entertainment and find out what's happening at this, this venue in Joshua Tree, First World, it's firstworld and W-U-R-L-D dot, is it dot org or dot com? It's dot org. Okay, so firstworld.org will get you the, the information about the venue and, and the concerts and other things that come out. Bobby First, are you still working? Are you still creating? Are you still looking at things in that remarkable way that was formed through all these innovators you've met all your life? Well, I kind of, you know, it, it, I went from kind of woodworking to learn, teach myself to weld, because in the past I did other art pieces that involved welding, but I would cut and trim and get it all together, but I wasn't a proficient welder, and I had a friend in Los Angeles, had a company called Metal Morphosis, and uh, he, you know, did everything from industrial welding, you know, beams and structures and stuff to artwork, and then I moved out here, sold my house in Laurel Canyon for a whole lot of money. The reason I left was, you know, somebody ran into my truck and I realized I'm spending, you know, a quarter of my lifetime sitting in my truck in traffic because I'm living in Laurel Canyon, working in Venice or the Palisades or Malibu. And it was like, you know, finally I just said, I'm done. I'm just going to, you know, move to Joshua Tree. I'll have my art studio. I'm still a carpenter. I can, you know, do work and that's basically how I got here. And uh, now uh, I'm still doing construction. I've, you know, built four of these Quonset huts on my property, but I've also built six, uh, well, probably eight of them for other people in the high desert because I know the process the and how to make hut, it. You're the Quonset <laughs> hut guy now. So, you know, I, I you know, I can't live off Social Security, so I'm still working. You know, doesn't pay the rent. <laughs> well, it pays the rent, but it or the mortgage, but so, it. Uh, so, are the works of Bobby <laughs> first now? Are they commissioned, or Bobby just no. sees things? Like, I could do something with that. Well, I just make art, and I, you know, I've sold art in the past. I've sold it, you know. Now I basically because I work in three dimensions. You know, you show somebody a picture, it's not the same as touching it, feeling it, walking around it. And I don't really make art for money unless somebody, you know, makes me an offer I can't refuse at the time. So I just make art, you know. I don't really make it to sell. I have no idea how to put a value on it. I've, you know, had, you know, I've been part of group shows years and years ago in L.A. I had one show at La Luz de Jesus Gallery in Hollywood, you know, that... But now, but now you're creating for Bobby. Yeah, I just, you know. All right. Bobby, first, thank you so much for being our guest. It's nice to get to know you better, uh, and our listeners got to know you better. If you want to find out more about what's happening at First World, it's F-U-R-S-T, First W-U-R-L-D, for one word. world, all one word, dot org, and check it out for yourself. That's going to do it for the Z1077 Up Close Show. Join me next week for Up Close. Until then, thanks for listening. Drive carefully, and God bless. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Up Close, a weekly talk and interview program presented in the public interest by Z1077 News. Join Gary Denio again next Friday at 10 for more Up Close.